Hi, I'm Rebecca Roberts. Hi, I'm Harriet Small. Welcome to Have You Got Five Minutes? PR comms and marketing podcast answering the things you'd normally have asked someone really quickly about at an event or while making a brew in the office. On this episode, we're joined by Scott Field, Director of Communications at the British Olympic Association, also known as Team GB, the organisation that takes athletes to the Olympics every two years. Scott's career in top flight sport has seen him work on football clubs, including West Brom and Watford, before working with the FA as Head of Media Relations. No stranger to huge sporting events, we were keen to talk about the Tokyo 2020 Games that happened in 2021, were labelled unprecedented for so many reasons and took place without a live audience, and how all of that impacted how we prepared for the Games, worked with the media around it and what was learned. Scott, thanks for on the podcast today it's a pleasure thank you so I was lucky to work with you way back when I was starting out uh, and you were at West Brom Football Club how has that transition gone from such a huge sport with a volume of media appetite from the British press to Olympic sports which have a real mix of profile some only really getting attention through the Olympic cycle I think I was starting out at West Brom as well wasn't I back in the day it's a long time ago now yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredibly different, right? Football is um, at saturation point in this country. You know, there isn't a moment that goes by where it's not in the media or in the public conversation and every aspect of it is poured over. And in many respects, you know, there's no room to breathe in football. You know, every story is told and retold and, 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 and told again. And I think that's the biggest point of difference, actually, from the Olympics is it's all quite fresh. I mean, you know, clearly, partly it's fresh because there isn't um, the ongoing interest in between Olympic Games, um, as perhaps there should be, you might argue. But we are where we are. And, you know, Olympic sports fight really hard for their share of coverage. We know that the way the media portrays sports these days is very different to even 10, 15 years ago. You could pick up a newspaper or maybe go on to the, the front page of the BBC website and probably see a greater spread of sports being covered that, than you do today. You know, and the professional sports have, have, have pretty much sort of sucked up all of the, the limelight, really. So rugby, cricket, football, even American football, you could argue, you know, in the BBC's case now where they're covering sports that are, you know, not traditionally sort of British sports as such. So Olympic sports or core Olympic sports have to fight really hard for their, their sort of share of the limelight and therefore athletes do as well. I, mean, I still think the fascinating bit is the athlete stories are, are incredible. I don't think they've ever diminished and in many respects they get better and better and some of the greatest role models this country has in sport and in society, uh, you know, are Olympians. And, and you see the power of that at Games time. And I think it comes into its own at the Olympic Games, where it is really fresh. And, and I think that's the bit we indulge as a nation, don't we? And I certainly indulge it from a PR point of view. You know, I love hearing those backstories. I love seeing the character and personality. And across the spread of so many sports, I love seeing fresh faces. You know, I mean, we went into the Olympic Games with some massive names, you know, the PTs, the Max Whitlocks, the Laura Kennys. Charlotte Dujardins of this world, but we came away talking about Charlotte Worthington. We came away talking about Tom Dean. Uh, obviously, Sky Brown was in amongst that as well, who's a, a, a sort of phenomenon at her age as well. But um, it's those spread of stories and it's the freshness, I think, that, that really interests people. There's no denying it, there are hard yards to be won out there from Olympic sports, and it, it, you know, it's not necessarily easy to get the share of coverage 
that we would like, particularly outside of Olympic Games time. And while the Olympics is only over two years with summer and winter games, there's a lot more that happens in between in terms of how you develop the team to, to work with athletes, engage with the media and plan. So what was that like once the pandemic hit? Once the pandemic hit, it was really strange. I was talking to a colleague about it this morning and that it was a few times in your career where you were looking around the room thinking, my gosh, none of us have got a reference point for this, right? It's like, you know, usually when something goes wrong or you're trying to develop your thinking in something, there's always someone you can turn to for a bit of advice or you think, okay, I know someone who's experienced something similar. None of us had going into the pandemic across any sector. So we were all sort of helping and supporting each other along. We had a massive job of work when the games were postponed because unbeknownst to a lot of people, Team GB is 100% commercially funded. So it takes no monies in at all from government or lottery. That all goes direct to the athletes through their sports. So for us, you know, maintaining our relationships with our commercial partners who just lost, you know, the 2020 games effectively and, and ensuring we protected those relationships and, and the value that they'd, they'd um, invested in us was really important. So it was a big job of work in that respect. And they were absolutely brilliant. All of them were brilliant and, and stuck with us through to 2021. That gave us the confidence really to then go on and deliver what we had to do, you know, for the athletes and, and for the team. And it was just a case of planning and replanning and replanning the whole time. The focus always being on the athletes and performance. We talked a lot about getting to the athletes to the start line, but then really quickly became clear that, that wasn't enough. You know, it was not enough just to get people to the start line that's not what they're there to do you know for a lot of these athletes it's well in this case five years work but four or eight or 12 or a lifetime's work to get to that point of competing at the olympic games at the peak moment and so we owed it to them to pull out all the stops really so we held our nerve and we kept everything in place that we planned for in japan and tokyo we worked with the athletes to reassure the whole time to say we've still got this you know we're not watering anything down you're our focus you know we had really regular dialogue with the athletes and the sports just to maintain that confidence and that positioning which i think was was actually part of the success of tokyo that People got to Tokyo and felt as though it wasn't the COVID games. And they explicitly said that to us, the athletes. We don't want this to be the COVID games. We want this to be the Olympic games, you know, our Olympic games. And that was really great to hear that. Well, for the fact that they can sort of be candid enough to tell us that and that we're able to listen. But actually, ultimately, we were able to deliver on that. Talked about planning with the athletes. We know that sort of during COVID, everything was sort of in a state of crisis and going through those modes of updates and everything else. How did you, in terms of like comms and thinking about channels and stakeholder engagement, how did you plan that? How was the sort of execution? So we were really focused, I, I think really focused in three constituent areas. So stakeholders, particularly in respect of commercial partners, but, but more widely the whole system. And one of the great things about COVID was that we saw it in all aspects of life. Everyone came together, you know, we all sort of coalesced around the issues. And that was very true of sports. You know, we're all looking to each other for support and we're all able to do that and pull each other through. But really clear on that sort of stakeholder audience, really clear on our fan audience and clarity there. But most importantly, clear on the athlete audience, as I've described. So I think our planning centred around that, just understanding who we were speaking to, 
when and why. One of the great benefits of, of the pandemic was the sudden realization that you could actually make video technology work. And I know everybody said that, but it was true in our case. And for the first time, it meant we were able to get athletes, albeit a virtual room, together at one time. There's no point ever, even during the Olympic Games, that the whole team is together. We take 375 athletes to a Games. They are never all there at once. Some compete on day one and go home. Some compete on day 17. They'll never meet each other. Some Olympians may have gone to three or four games and have never met each other just because their sports, you know, don't have that proximity and they're never in the environment together. But during during the pandemic, we were able to take advantage of the advances in video technology and get them on calls. You know, we had 400 athletes on one call at the start of the cycle listening to us, explaining what it meant that the games were postponed, what we were going to do in the short term, what the outcomes we thought would be. So that was that was huge for us. And we kept that going. We took advantage of that and kept it going. So we just kept that regular drumbeat of communication. In fact, we're still doing it now. To go back to your question, the planning planning was very much centered on audiences, and then it was just a time, you know, just a period to reflect, and just take stock. There was no knee jerking. It was just about settling things down. We knew there were some big elements of work we had to do within the business, so ensuring our commercial partners stayed with us, ensuring our partners in Japan stayed with us. The primary audiences really were stakeholder and athletes in that regard and we over communicated i think that was really what the plan was actually it was just over communicating those first weeks and months through the uncertainty just just so that people knew we were present in the conversation if nothing else and the games finally happen and um, but not without its challenges and um, how did you approach media support at the games for athletes to balance kind of what athletes needed so i love the screens of the family watching kind of afterwards that they could have that kind of personal contact but then also still allow the media to get their coverage a lot of them obviously were back here as well so how did that work it's really complex at the best of times delivering media at a games because it's the biggest as, as it's built you know the biggest show on earth there are 20 20 odd thousand media in the environment there are 11,000 athletes in totality we've got 375 that's a lot of stories to tell in a condensed period of time across 17 days is the reality of it so you try and do as much as you can in advance of the games I wouldn't say it was perfect by any stretch this games at all and I think we were hit hard by the fact that the conditions weren't open and accessible as normal for us so that created a lot of uncertainty in the run-up. It meant that a lot of the face-to-face interactions we'd execute just weren't able to be done in a way that we'd have wanted to do them. And and primarily because we had to be pragmatic, you know, around, as I've said already, getting people to the start line to perform. And actually that meant keeping them COVID-free. And, and therefore, with the best will in the world, some media activities weren't deemed as essential. In, in a way that, you know, we wouldn't even consider it normally. So a lot of face-to-face activities sort of fell away before the games. We had to deliver a lot virtually, which, again, as I say, has a lot of benefits. But by the same token, you know, you, you can lose elements of what you're trying to translate or character, personality, etc. Even just making TV packages, you know, look great, real colour and, and all that. You know, that was difficult, so and I wouldn't lie. And I, did it detract from the athlete experience? Hopefully not. Did it add um, in a way that it would usually do and create that sort of level of energy and excitement? Maybe not in some instances. So a lot of reflections on that. And then at games time, you know, we were particularly stretched because the environment was so restricted in Tokyo. For really good reason. There's no criticism in that, but we had um, we had banding across our delegation. So 
dependent on on your role you know you were either sort of deemed clean i suppose for want of a better word or not and um and if you're operating outside of the olympic village it was difficult to get into the olympic village and see athletes so again we were relying on a lot of virtual conversation a lot of green screens and i think you know i'd like to think we did the best we could to be honest with you and actually what's great is i still think from british public point of view the stories translated and cut through and, and, you know, it's easy to be self-critical sat here sort of analysing it. And you, there are always things you can do well and do better. But I think the, probably the great, the great joy was the, the output was still great and the positivity it generated back in the UK was great and was probably, you know, as good as or equivalent to most games we've been to. So it was difficult out in Tokyo and there were challenges. And in many respects, you know, we didn't get across the breadth of athletes we would have liked to have done ordinarily. But such were the restrictions. Um, it was a difficult job. A lot of the athletes had to leave the country 24 hours after competition, which never usually happens at all. They, you know, they sort of missed out on, on what ordinarily would have been some great celebratory moments at the Olympic Games. We tried to make up for that at home. I think the media that did travel with us, albeit they were limited in numbers, did a great job of getting those stories back in papers, back on radio, back on broadcast and across social and digital channels. I think it would have been even bigger you know, and brighter had we had the, the sort of full set of, of tools available to us. You hinted at it a little bit, but how did social and digital channels help you considering the the climate that we were in massively really i mean they're our biggest asset in marketing terms in real terms you know we don't have vast marketing budgets unlike football the budgets aren't you know at the top level they're not huge so you make little go a long way i think uh, and we've got incredibly strong social channels. You know, we've got three and a half million followers across our eight core social channels. And the bulk of those are in the main four channels as we would consider it. And we had a real upsurge in our youth audiences and social and digital, which was great, particularly from the 18 to 34 year olds. Instagram and TikTok are biggest areas of growth at games time. So we're really pleased with that. And I think, you know, one that shows that, that, Clearly, digital and social helps us attract new and different audiences. But, you know, it's just so much easier, isn't it, to get your message, you know, unfiltered message across and for us to convey what we think the character and personality of the athletes are and the story in its truest sense. Um, And I'm always a great believer in the fact that, you know, you need the full mix of of comms and PR, don't you? You know, there's no one solution that that is a a magic bullet in that sense. But the digital and social for us is absolutely huge, particularly in light of the comment I made earlier around a sort of dwindling media interest in certain certain elements of of sports, not least while, you know, we're all vying for huge amounts of attention in a really crowded marketplace. Going back a little bit, you know, we had the iconic games in 2012 here in London. How do you keep people energised in Team GB and keep them engaged and then reinvigorate that? Because some athletes will not be seen between the cycles. So how do you think about those periodic gaps? Harry, that is our biggest challenge, bar none. I mean, <laughs> if I had the answer for it, um, 
I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably be away making lots of money. I mean, it's difficult, right? And we do have we do have some answers to it, and I think a lot of it is investment, investment in content and in our channels and in growing our audiences. It's also in collaborations we can create with our commercial partners in some some respects as well, because they have you know huge audiences to market to. Um, our broadcasters and the media. It is it's without doubt the biggest challenge, and I think. You know, what we're looking at now is trying to invest more in engaging content that really gets under the skin of the characters of the athletes further out from the games. And let's look at those journeys. It's fascinating, isn't it, that everyone has been so excited about the um, the denouement of the Formula One season. And so many people have sort of said, yeah, I didn't watch Formula One for years, but then I watched the Netflix documentary series on it and it got me back into it. And it was all about the character of the athletes, isn't it? It was all about simple storytelling and as a team we always sort of remind each other the whole time there's just a beautiful simplicity with what we're delivering around the around the olympics and it's just those those wonderful characters everyday people achieving extraordinary extraordinary things that we need to tap into you know the fact that adam Peaty, the superstar that he is but he came from pretty normal place in utoxita from a normal family background as such these are people we're talking about that sort of walk the same streets that we walk and come from the same places we come from i think is really exciting for us tapping into that sort of that thinking around telling their story the character of the athletes bringing them to the fore and then as i say i think what, what we're hoping to do ahead of paris is just to invest more and more in richer, you know, richer, more engaging content, some long form stuff, some episodic content, uh, and also thinking about the strategies that sit around that. So, you know, how we market that content, develop it, sell it, what the paid for strategy is around it. So we can, you know, we can really start to see the sort of numbers ramp up outside of games time. But without a doubt, that's one of our biggest challenges. So aside from seeing you star in a Netflix documentary, um, what have you learned um, from the games uh, over the past kind of year? Loads of lessons we've learned from a sort of business perspective and just an, a you know sort of general management perspective. You know, knowing that we're good at doing what we're doing and just believing in ourselves and just maintaining the standards that we've already set, the investment in the right areas. Over communication is a word I've already talked about. So I think that communication with athletes is is massively important. I'm really lucky as well in that I work in an organisation that believes in comms and PR and marketing. We're not sort of a bolt on, particularly in sport, because performance can override everything so often. Comms can be seen as a bit of an interference and, you know, getting in the way of what people are actually trying to achieve and the pesky media are trying to cause problems, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I don't have that attitude where I work at all. You know, we've got senior leaders that understand the media, understand the role of, of PR uh, and also invest in marketing and understand what that can do. So risk of wittering on a little bit there. I think, you know, what what's good is that I start from a, a solid place at Team GB where, where comms and PR isn't an afterthought in the first instance. And I think I'm very lucky in that respect because I know that's not the case everywhere. And I think it can be difficult for, for you know, comms and PR practitioners in particular to, you know, get people to understand the importance um, of, of 
of, of good comms and, and, and good PR. And what advice do you have for anyone who's thinking about working in sports PR on comms, especially if they have the ambition of going to work for an organisation that does the big sporting flagship events? This is a, a, a question I find so difficult because I think advice is a really hard thing to dispense to people, isn't it? And it's also individual and, and nuanced. I think the one thing I'm always really careful to say to people is just understand what it is you want to do when you get there and why it is you want to do it. And one of the things I've always been really careful of in my own career is is that sport's the genre really, right? And I'm lucky to work in it, but I'm actually in sport. I'm in sport, but I'm a comms professional. And that's the bit I put first. I remember vividly having my um, interview actually with the BOA CEO and I said to him, um, at risk of, at risk here of sort of opening up my own um, knowledge gaps, but I said to him, look, if you want someone who can tell you the last ten winners of the hundred meters at the Olympic Games, I'm not I'm not your man, right? I can go and research that, but that's not what I'm here to do. But if you want want real insight to how I think the media works and the BOA can best work with the media, and we can develop our narrative, uh, and we we could be relatively successful from a PR perspective and that can be um, important for the brand and our commerciality then then let's have a conversation and I think that's probably the bit of advice I'd give to anyone particularly given this is sort of, sort of comms and PR focused podcast is you know if that's your specialism don't undersell yourself in that area Working in sport is brilliant. You know, it's a dream come true and I've loved every second of it. But I, and I suppose I've developed a, a sports expertise, but I understand exactly what, you know, what it is I want to do first and foremost. And that's do good comms and PR on a day to day basis. The fact that it's in sport is just a wonderful aspect of that. So, again, you know, the advice maybe is just be clear on what it is exactly you want to do. And therefore, just be, be careful about, you know, be careful, more so be thoughtful rather than careful about who it is you want to work for and what the role is and why you want to do it. And I think if you get that mix right, you can have a really, really good, fun time and it can be a great success for you, you know, but don't be afraid to, you know, to sort of stand proud as a sort of comms and and PR person and, and put that, as you stand first, really. And that's really good advice. Such a misconception sport that you have to be have an encyclopedia knowledge on a particular team. I remember being offered a job at Blues, actually, whilst I was at West Brom. And one of the girls in the interview went, well, as a Villa fan, how would you feel? And I was like, it's totally irrelevant, surely. Like, I think I turned them down just because I am a Villa fan. <laughs> It's true, and 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 it's the differentiator because I I can honestly tell you everyone I've ever interviewed in my whole career said to me I love sport and I'm like yeah I know you love sport we all love sport right like it's like saying I love music I love music of course we all love music right I like I love I love you know I love breathing oxygen but we all do it so what's different what's different for you and I think that's the bit for me then I want to see that passion for for the job at hand. You know, and, and everything else is a given, right? I can teach you about sport. We can learn about sport. That's absolutely fine. But I want to know that you're going to be the comms professional or the marketing professional that you want to be and that you'll bring some value to us in, in doing that. And I want you to be a sports fan. Of course, I want people to love sports. We all we all want that, but it's kind of inherent. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's great. A pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe so others can find us. Find us on Twitter at Rebecca7Roberts and at Harriet Smallsey. 